grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning, the Old Testament reading that we heard just a moment ago, 1 Kings 17, 17 to 24, which is really part two of the Old Testament reading and the sermon from last week. We focus on these words. And Elijah cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that hymn that we sang, that, that hymn of the day, that sermon hymn, especially verse 3, is a really, really difficult one to sing. Now, I'm not talking about the tune or the melody or anything like that. It's quite easy. It's the words. It's the content. It's the subject matter. And death pursues me all the way. Nowhere I rest securely. He, death, comes by night. He comes by day. He takes his prey most surely. A failing breath and I in death's strong grasp may lie. To face eternity today as death pursues me all the way. We know it's true. We just like to pretend that it's not. We know that it's true, but we'll do anything and everything to avoid the reality that death is stalking us. Stalking us each and every day. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. It was about seven or eight months ago, uh, Pastor Moline and I started a new radio program called Equipping the Saints. It was really the brainchild of one of our elders, Kurt Christensen. We had covered all of the readings in the one-year series year after year after year. We did all the minor festivals. We did much of our hymnal and many hymns. This was to be a program that would focus on living the Christian life. How's a Christian supposed to live? Is a holy life important? Or because we're forgiven, do we just go out and sin all that we want? That's the focus, equipping the saints. We spend a lot of time on the Christian walk as it is depicted in the book of Ephesians. Then we shifted gears and we started talking about Christian ethics. From there, we moved on to Christian sexual ethics. And for the last many weeks, we have been talking about the topic of death. Specifically, how to die a good 
death. We're talking about Christians here. How should a Christian die a good death? What does it mean for a Christian to die well? Well, a couple of weeks after we started this new emphasis on equipping the saints, I just happened to have one of our local television channels on, and it was a commercial break, but it was a long commercial break, almost like an infomercial like they do on some of our local channels, and they were advertising a particular hospice care in and around Lincoln. Hospice can be a great blessing. The person that was being interviewed was a former pastor, now chaplain for this particular hospice group. I really wasn't paying a whole lot of attention until the reporter asked the question. And the question was, what does it mean for a person to die well? That's our program. Get some handy tidbits, right? Wrong. This chaplain, when asked, what does it mean to die well? He said, well, I think most people would say that dying well means that you would die without any pain. Maybe in your sleep. To die well means to hopefully die in your own home with familiar surroundings. To die well would mean to be mentally alert and have much of your physical ability still with you, especially the control of your bladder and bowels. And on, and on, and on. There was one thing that the chaplain didn't talk about. He didn't talk about God. He didn't talk about faith. He didn't talk about any kind of spiritual care in any way, shape, or form. Almost as if it was a nothing or didn't exist. How sad. How tragic. How typical of how our culture treats the subject of death. Death is all about me. With no care or little care for our loved ones, our family, our friends. And certainly little care for eternity. My friends, what a, what a stark contrast between that interview and our readings for today. Our readings for today that, that tackle this difficult emotional subject head on. In our gospel reading... We have Jesus confronting death head on, touching it, and making it go away. 
Do not weep. He didn't skip that class on, on how to deal with people's emotions. Giving a promise. Do not weep. Because death does not have the last word. Our epistle reading from Ephesians talks about suffering. Real suffering. Dealing and living life in the midst of suffering. You want to talk about suffering? Have someone you know or love or care for die. It hurts. Suffering is real. But our special focus for today is on our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings chapter 17. Last week we got part one of Elijah. Maybe you remember parts of this from your old Sunday school days. Elijah, the great prophet of God, he's commanded and goes to evil king Ahab. And he preaches that because of your idolatry, there will be a drought on the land. No rain, no crops, until God's word comes from my lips. Immediately, the heavens shut off their rain. Ahab and his wife Jezebel were not happy. And they wanted to put Elijah to death. So Elijah goes into hiding. He goes down by a creek and God uses the ravens to attend to him, feeding him in the morning and at night and he drinks water out of the creek. Everything is fine. But the famine is so severe, just like God said through Elijah, that soon the creek dries up and there's no more water. So what does God do? He says, Elijah, I have prepared for you someone to take care of you. Someone to provide for you. I want you to go to, of all places, Jezebel's home country. With all of the false prophets. I want you to go there and I have commanded a woman, a widow, to take care of you. So... Elijah goes. He sees the widow, the widow of Zarephath, gathering sticks. Elijah says, give me a drink of water. She says, okay. Oh, before you do that, why don't you make me a little, a little bread cake because I'm hungry from my journey. Widow says, with God as my witness, I'm gathering these sticks to prepare a fire. I've got a little dab of oil and a little dab of uh, flour. I'm going to make a little meal for my son and I. And then we're going to die. Elijah says, the oil, and the, water, the oil and the flour will not run out. God's word. God has attached his promise to it. Feed me first, then feed your household, and it will not run out. And just exactly as God spoke through Elijah, it happened. We know that this drought lasted about three and a half years. 
So if Elijah is by the, by the brook being fed by the ravens for six months, 12 months, tops, He's two and a half years living with this widow and her son. And that little dab of oil and flour do not run out. What an amazing miracle. What amazing providence by God. How God cared for his prophet through the widow. How God cared for the widow through the prophet. That brings us to our text for today. After this... The son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Can you imagine that? After this miraculous feeding, after God miraculously kept this widow and her son alive, the son gets sick. And up and dies. Her son. Her only son. This woman knows death. She's a widow. Grief unimaginable. In the loss of her son. Not only the loss of her son, but more than likely the loss of her livelihood. In this culture. There was little or nothing for a widow to do. She needed to be provided for by someone in her family. And the oldest son or the only son was often the one who did that. Shelter, food, protection. And now all this is gone. You can imagine what was going through her mind. Why? Why God? Why Him? Why inflict this pain on me? Why? You can imagine what she was thinking, but take note of what she said. Take note of what she said. In the midst of her anger, in the midst of her grief, she says, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. She hadn't asked for a miracle. She doesn't ask for a resurrection. She makes a bold confession that she knows why people die. You might look at this text and say, well, it doesn't really say what he died from. It doesn't tell us the, the specific illness or malady. But upon closer examination, it tells us exactly what this young man died from. Not only what he died from, but what every person who has died has died from, and what every person who will die, including all of us here, will die from. 
No, I'm not talking about cancer or heart disease or any of the myriad illnesses that are out there. There is one sole cause of death, and that is sin. Sin. Sin causes death. If there was no sin, there would be no death. If there was no sin, Adam and Eve would still be alive. How have we lost sight of that? Why do we fail to confess that we know and believe that sin is the true cause of death? Well, maybe we're a little too caught up with ourselves. It was several years ago, I was teaching in the Lutheran Seminary in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I'm not exactly sure how we got on the topic. I was lecturing on the book of Hebrews. And somewhere along the line, the topic of death came up. And I, like many Americans, used the term natural death. You've heard it. You've probably used it. We do it all the time. Well, uh, were, were they killed in a gun battle or was it a natural death? That's kind of the context. You got to understand the picture of how this lecturing went on in Haiti. I don't speak French. I don't speak Creole. So I would speak for about 30 seconds and then I would shut up and the translator would go talk back and forth and back and forth. And after several days, you get a rhythm. And you can really crank it out. When I made that comment about natural death, everything stopped. Hands went up everywhere in the classroom. Instead of a 30-second translation, there was a 20-minute discussion. What is a natural death? The students asked. There's no such thing as a natural death in the Bible. Is there, pastor? My friends, that day, the students taught me how easy it is for the culture to set the agenda in our hearts, in our minds, in our vocabulary. How easy it is for us to talk about a natural death as if sin is not the root cause of every death. My friends, I was able to boldly repent and confess that day. Death is not natural. There is nothing natural about death. Death is always the enemy. Death. Death pursues us all the way. My friends, if that was the, the end of the story, 
being pursued by death all day long be a, be a pretty miserable existence, wouldn't it? You just run and run and run and run until death finally catches you. Then it's all over. My friends, Elijah teaches us what to do in the midst of the reality of death. He had no promise from God that God would raise this son back to life. The wages of sin is death. God's word is clear. He knew that he, the great prophet of God, couldn't do anything in the sight of death. Way, way, way above his pay grade. God and God alone is the master of death. Elijah knew it. He begged God for mercy. God graciously and mercifully answered his request, giving the son back to the woman. But my friends, we have no specific promise with that regard today. We have no promise that when our loved one gets sick, that God will heal them every time. We have no promise that God will deliver us from our maladies, be they <laughs> natural or not. The wages of sin is death. Death pursues us all the way. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Elijah bringing back to life this son of the widow of Zarephath is a picture that gives, it really happened, but it's a picture of future glory and future events. Events like are recorded in our gospel reading for today. When Jesus, by the power of his word and by the power of his touch, raises the son of the widow of Nain, where he raises Jairus' daughter, where he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, comes back to life. And even all of these are glimpses, pictures, types of the mother of all miracles. When Jesus himself, stone cold dead, Jesus comes back to life never to die again. My friends, often we blame God for not keeping promises that he never kept. Oh, why did my family member get sick? Oh, why did my family member die? We don't have that promise. We've got something better. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. This is your promise. This is the promise that you can take to the bank. And if you believe this, you're free. You are free to not have to worry about death pursuing you.
Death pursued Jesus. Death caught Jesus. And then Jesus stomped death in the ground. For you. For me. And for the life of the world. My friends, death literally means separation. And that's what happens when people die. Their body and soul is separated. The body stays here. The soul of a believer immediately with God. The soul of an unbeliever immediately separated from God in hell for all eternity. But death separates even more. It separates husband and wife, parent and child, brother and sister, pastor and parishioner, friends. Death hurts. Death causes sorrow. And death is real. But my friends, do not fall for the lie of the world. Death is not natural. And death, while it pursues us, death will never truly catch us. Why? Because we know how to die well. I don't want to take 30 or 40 of hours worth of radio programming and condense it down to one sentence, but I can. You want to die well? You want to die a good death? Then die in Jesus. Die clinging to Jesus and His Word. His Word of promise. His Word of hope. His Word of forgiveness. That's why we come to church. To be filled with His Word. That's why we return to the baptismal font. Drowning and dying. Daily. With all of our sins and passions and evil lust. That's why we come to Christ's Supper. To be fed and strengthened. All of these grow you and bless you. So that when the time comes, you will die well. My friends, it's nothing to fear. Christ has gone there first. And he has overcome it for you. May God grant you and me, and all of his children, a good death. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our life, and our death. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We stand and sing our offertory.